Good morning. Today's passage includes one of the most commonly misused and abused verses in all of the Bible. We hear this one regularly proclaimed, don't we? Again, today's passage is one that is used and abused in our world today, in a day where tolerance is demanded and expected, and you're shamed if you don't accept their situations and their sins. This is a verse that is often ripped out of its context and used to give credence for their sinful lifestyles. Our world wants to excuse sin, doesn't it? So it twists the Bible to give themselves a way to keep on indulging in their fleshly desires. However, as we will see today, our Lord had something really different in mind when he exhorted the disciples and the crowd to avoid judging one another. Now, do I think that the passage applies? Oh, absolutely. I think it applies very well to us. But unfortunately, I think it's applied incorrectly to many other things. Jesus unfolds this tension, a tension that can only be navigated with a heart stayed on the Lord, one who is trusting in Him and depending upon Him. The whole Sermon on the Mount is a call to trust and depend upon God to sustain us in a world filled with wickedness. How do we navigate? How do we survive in this world where one side is calling us to self-righteousness and cleaning ourselves up and looking religious and holy for all the wrong reasons? And the other side is the world that it's calling us to sin and to engage in debauchery. How do we navigate that narrow way? Well, this sermon is all about how to navigate that, how to live righteously in a world that honors or a world that hates God, yet we're supposed to honor God in that process. Jesus ends his sermon or down near closer to the end in verse 13 with these words. Look at it in 713. Enter through the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. For the gate is small and the way is narrow that leads to life. There are few who find it. In our passage today, we get a glimpse, uh, another glimpse into the narrow way. He's explaining this eternal life, this way to trust God and live a righteous life, not in our own strength, but by the grace of God that's working in us, we display God's righteousness by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. We must avoid judging one another. However, we are to be discerning in who we share the truth with. We see this, verses 7, all, through, all the way down through 6. How do we navigate this way? How do we walk and discern and yet not put ourselves over others, and judge others? The short answer is, we must be completely fixed on God, our Savior. 
the one who looks to God for his or her righteousness and who avoids seeking to elevate themselves over others in their, un, in their good deeds, that person is the one who has stayed on God and is able to navigate this way. The way of God is faith in Christ alone. It's focus on Him. It's seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness, as we saw last time. This faith reveals itself in righteousness because God works in us. Now, please understand, a life of faith in Christ requires an ongoing, continual dependence upon God to work in us to produce this kind of righteousness. Beloved, when you read passages like this, and you see our own hearts, and we realize how sinful we are, we are constantly reminded we need God, right? So it's this constant running back to Him, seeking Him, depending upon Him to navigate through this world. It's seeking Him and His righteousness. This entire sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, is an explanation of the disciples' way of righteousness that stands in direct opposition to the self-righteous ways of the Pharisees of Jesus' day. Now again, Jesus is confronting that, but also showing what's the right way. Remember, we saw that in chapter 5. He said things like, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He was showing, don't go the way of the Pharisees. Don't go the way of the self-righteousness. Avoid that and go with the law of God. Serving Him and honoring Him. Then in chapter 6 we saw, another one remember, avoid doing things to be noticed by men. Because that's another example of if we're obsessed with what other people think of us and we're constantly doing good deeds to get approval from men, then we've got a problem. We've fallen off on that side. However, he calls us to pray and to give and even to fast. Not to be noticed by men, but to honor God, to love Him, to serve Him. Again, the whole sermon is a rebuke of the Pharisees' self-righteous, external religious system. Now, you say, Mike, I know you've told us this. Why are you telling me again? Well, because that context is extremely important to understand. Do not judge, lest you be judged. You can't understand what he's getting at if you don't see the big picture that he's rebuking the Pharisees for their self-righteous external religious system. It's also a call throughout the sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, to righteousness by the kingdom citizens in a fallen world. Remember, Jesus is speaking both to his disciples and the crowd. And I really believe that that's why this sermon particularly applies to us too. And it's very important for us to understand that often when we see passages like this, we think, oh, well, that applies to those religious hypocrites. But he's still talking to the disciples. So the tendency is what? For the religious hypocrites, it's, a tendency is for us to be the religious hypocrites. Even as followers of God, we too can elevate ourselves and think that we're something when we're really what? Nothing. He's rebuking 
any of the crowd or any of the disciples that embraced this self-righteous system of their day. But at the, end, uh, at the same time, he understood the human heart. And Jesus is talking directly to the heart. He knew the disciples were prone to fall into the same self-righteous, self-righteousness of the Pharisees. Remember, who's he speaking to? He's speaking to the disciples. But remember, do you remember these words? Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? John and James. Or how about these? Though all fall away, I will never fall away. Peter. What happened? In both of those cases, they weren't applying the Sermon on the Mount, chapter 7, verses 1 to 6. They weren't applying it correctly. I want all of us to recognize that the exhortation to avoid judging and yet be discerning is applicable for us. It applies to every one of us. And it's something that we have to be on guard of daily, all the time, every one of us. Are y'all like me? It, 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 these kind of verses really apply great for me after spiritual victories. I have something great happen in my life, and I'm really honoring the Lord. And I spent three hours into my devotion time and said, wow, look at me. I'm really good. I got, man, I got this Bible thing down. You walk out, and you say something foolish. And your spiritual pride Somehow thinking that I've arrived when I should have kept depending upon the Lord when I left my devotion just as much as I was when I was in the devotion. That's why it's pray without ceasing, isn't it? What we see in our passage today, we will break our passage down into three sections. First, there's the exhortation to avoid unrighteous judgment in verses 1 and 2. Then there's the comical illustration of unrighteous judgment we'll talk about in a little bit. And then finally, we'll see the direction to use righteous discernment. The direction to use righteous discernment. Let's unpack this passage first. Let's start with the exhortation to avoid unrighteous judgment. Jesus states in verse 1 of chapter 7, Do not judge so that you will not be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. This is an imperative, obviously, at the beginning of this verse, right? Do not judge. You can slice it and dice it any way you want. It says, with a command from Jesus, do not judge. A lot of people are, well, what does this mean? Well, let's start with what it doesn't mean first. It doesn't mean we never judge. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't have discernment. In fact, in chapter 7, verse 6, just five verses later in our passage today, verse 6, he says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. What are you supposed to do there? Well, first of all, you need to know what is a dog. And you have to know what a swine is in order not to give it to them. So what are you going to be doing? Judging. You're going to be discerning. 
They're going to be trying to figure out what this is and who are these people. And so I don't, what? Give the pearls, right? We're going to talk about that in a little bit. But you see that immediately Jesus, is Jesus contradicting him only a few sentences away? Is he contradicting himself? Absolutely not. It doesn't, it does not mean judge as in be discerning. What does it mean then? Again, the context helps to define it. Remember, the underlying theme of the letter is to avoid fake righteousness of the Pharisees. To avoid being a fake Christian or a fake follower of God. The point is that often the Pharisees were what? The greatest judges. (laughs) They were the judges of the society. They were the ones that were looking at everybody else and saying, I'm better than you. You're less than me. That's what they were doing. Also, remember, Jesus is addressing the heart. Ultimately, judgment with correct motives is good. If it comes from a heart that is stayed on God and trusting God, where it's about God's glory, not our glory, then that's fine. That's not what he's talking about here. He's confronting a heart that is with wrong motives, one that is seeking to elevate itself. And I guess you could summarize it that way, that this judgment that he's calling them to avoid is about self-righteousness. It's all about self-righteousness. Do not judge. In this context, it's an act of looking down upon a person in self-righteous judgment of them. Don't look down your nose at other people thinking you're better than them. That's his point. It's acting as another person's judge from a heart of superiority. Thinking we're better than another person. Thinking we are righteous and seeing someone else as worthy of our scorn or shame. Ultimately, it's putting our place, putting ourselves in the place of God. Saying, I'm your judge, I'm the righteous one, and you are below me. That's what he's getting at. So what's the warning? Look at the warning in this verse, in verse 1. Do not judge so that you will not be judged. The warning is this. The consequences of self-righteous judgment of others is God will judge us by a standard far beyond ours. And we are going to be judged one day. Remember, Jesus has already shown this throughout the sermon, hasn't he? What did he do? How did the Pharisees elevate themselves above other people when it came to adultery? Remember we talked about that? We talked about, well, if you gave a certificate and you did all these loopholes, then I'm okay. I can send my wife away. No big deal. I can have as many wives as I want as long as I follow the traditions of men to accomplish it. So what did they do? They were looking down on other people and justifying their own sin away so that they could get away with it. But what does Jesus call us to do? He says, look at your heart. Look at your heart. Now, 
For y'all like me, I don't always say what I'm thinking. Anybody? I'm thankful. You're thankful I don't always say what I'm thinking. Why? Well, because of this wretched heart that I still fight. The old man that I'm still struggling with. Beloved, do you understand that even though we don't say it, we're still thinking it often. And we can often meditate and pontificate constantly. Do you find yourself doing that? You're watching TV. You say, oh, those guys are horrible. Those wicked sinners. Do we see ourselves in the people that are in front of us? Do we see our own hearts or do we kind of have a tendency to think, I'm better than that person? We're constantly doing that, aren't we? Jesus is addressing this kind of attitude in our hearts. Where we elevate ourselves above others. And we fail to see the own lusts and anger and problems with approval of man that sits in all of us. You know how you can really tell if you're not meditating properly when it comes to judgment and whether you're elevating yourself? When you counsel other people, do you find yourself telling other people, oh, you are horrible, you do this, you do this, you do this, and you never see yourself in doing those same things? I think one of the worst counselors in the world is somebody that is always telling others what they do wrong without acknowledging their own faults and their own need of God. He's calling the disciples to stop doing that. Don't see yourself as better than your brothers and sisters around you. Remember, we have the same heart. We have the same propensities. Don't judge so that you won't be judged. The fact of the matter is, is that this works on both the human level and the divine level. What do I mean by that? Well, when you are constantly putting other people down and putting yourself at this high level, you know what's going to happen? There's always going to be somebody that can come along and outdo you with righteousness. They're going to put you down. And God will, in his providence, bring people into your life to keep you humble. But ultimately, beloved... Standing before the throne of God, that day when we stand before the Bema seat, when we who are believers are going to stand before Christ, I don't want God to judge me the way that I judge others in some cases. If his standard was laid out there, how many of us would fail miserably? Would there be ever any well-done, good, and faithful servants? I don't think so. Very few of us, right? God is calling us through his word here, through Christ as he speaks. God will one day lay us low with his perfect righteous standards. Be careful. The way you judge, you will be judged. The measure that you use... You will be measured by. 
this does call to, to, to thought. Are you considered a gracious person? Are you considered someone that is gracious and kind and quick to forgive and slow to anger and long-suffering with others? Does love cover a multitude of sins in your life and others' lives? Or are you constantly pointing out every single spot and defect of everybody you come in contact with? good question, isn't it? Beloved, I think all too often, the more we know about God's word, the more we have a tendency to apply it to everybody else and not to ourselves. You're in a church that greatly values the word of God. We believe this is the word of God. We believe that every word in it is perfect and we should follow it and we should obey it. And we are going to preach it every last word. Be careful of religious pride. Be careful of thinking you're something when you're not. Jesus exhorted the disciples to avoid unrighteous self-righteous judgment of others. Next, he gave the illustration. Notice the illustration. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. Behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite! First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. For the record, I do believe Jesus is using a little bit of comedy here. It is obvious. He is uh, also using satire. It's somewhat of an exaggeration, okay? It's obvious that he's exaggerating the point to drive it home, to make sure you understand it. It's just like the camel going through the eye of a needle. It's so exaggerated that it's like, okay, I get you. I know what you're talking about. At the same time, he's pretty direct, and he's somewhat mocking the pharisaical idea of their culture and their day. He's mocking them and their self-righteousness. Notice it includes... Two rhetorical, satirical questions and then an exhortation to avoid it. First question, notice. Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? There's a very important uh, note here. Obviously, it's absurd, isn't it? It's an illustration that is strange, actually weird. Like, what? A speck and a log? Why do you observe a little speck in your brother's eye, but you are oblivious to the log in your own eye? What is the log? The word log in the Greek is actually a a word that was used for wood that would be used in building of roofs. A big piece. I was going to bring a big piece, but 
I could not carry it. I'm weak, and my arms are still recovering from the move at the Sonats yesterday. But this gets the idea, doesn't it? This is a small log, but it would get the idea. A log in your eye. The point is clear. Why are you overly concerned with another person's small problem when you have a huge problem yourself? Jesus here, again, is rebuking the self-righteous heart that looks down on others because they are sinless in their own eyes but are acutely aware of everyone else's sin, even the smallest of sins. Look at it. Notice it states, Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eyes, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So the first question emphasizes what you see. What you see. Why do you see this, but you don't see that? Why do you see a speck, but you can't see the own, your own log sticking out of your own eye? It's almost comical, isn't it? To think about this. You walk up to a person that has a little piece of sawdust in their eye, and you have this giant thing sticking out of your face, It's got to be, like, strange. How are you getting around without seeing that there's a log hanging out of your eye? And yet somehow, five rows down, I see that person's speck in their eye. Maybe you saw it today. You walked in and you said, that person is dressing like that can't believe they're wearing that at church. Do they do their hair like that? It sure does look like they're showing themselves off. Are you wearing those pants to church? Did you hear what she said? Log and eye disease. You say, well, I don't fall into that trap. I just come as I am. No big deal. I'm fine. Could it be that you just fell into the trap? When you start judging others that you aren't like them. I'm not hypocritical. (laughs) Isn't that the same thing? We do it on both sides, don't we? We look at the legalists and say, y'all need to relax. And the legalist looks over and says, y'all need to be holy. And both can be wrong because you're not looking at your own heart and comparing yourself to who? God. Because in the standard of God, we all are what? 
wicked sinners. We're all here and we're just thankful we're alive, aren't we? Blessed that we're even here. The point is clear. Why are you overly concerned about another person's small problem when you have a huge problem? The second question, notice. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye. See, it goes from this. It goes from me looking at Jimmy and saying, hey, and, and thinking in my head and judging him in my heart. Jimmy, I see that speck in your eye. I see that speck. It goes from that to, goes from that. Jimmy, here, can I get that speck out of your eye? Now I'm doing what? I've moved from observing and judging in my heart to now saying, Jimmy, you got a problem. Do you get it? It's a natural progression, isn't it? The natural progression is this. It starts in our hearts and we become observers. We see everybody else and we see everybody else's sin and then we begin to speak. And we start saying what our heart's been thinking and we start saying things like, Why are you dressed like that? Friends, I think we need to observe that legalism and self-righteousness is bound up in the heart of all of us. And we need to kill it. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying to this, to the disciples, the apostles to the twelve, to the ones that he were the foundation of the church. How much more should we be concerned that this can be creeping in our souls? You know, a real good evidence is gossip. If you have log and eye disease, gossip is rampant. If you're constantly talking about two... uh, to other people, about others, putting them down and elevating yourself, then there's a problem. You're practicing what you've actually been thinking. So maybe you might not say it directly to their face, but you get started with other people. So what is this log In their eyes. I I really believe he has in mind the idea of self-righteous pride. Religious and arrogance. I think that is the big sin. And it is the blinding log. When we think of ourselves as better than others, then guess what? We're no good to anybody. When we're elevating ourselves above others, we cannot help anyone. biggest log is actually pride and self-righteousness. Friends, we think way too much of ourselves. We are absolutely blinded by our selfishness. And all we can see is the sin of others. 
Don't we see this in the counseling room? We know this. How many of you can see your spouse's sin very, very clearly? How many of you see your own as clearly? Why? It's the same question you just asked. Why? Why do you see the speck in your brother's eye when you've got a log hanging out of your own eye? The picture is intentionally shocking. It's meant to wake up the listener to their propensity. Jesus is saying directly, stop putting yourself over others. Wake up to your self-righteous pride. And then he directs them and exhorts them in this last section of the illustration. You hypocrite. I mean, can you imagine if I preached a sermon and in, in the middle of it, I just, you hypocrite! I would be like, man, that's direct. He's talking to his disciples. Remember, at the beginning of the sermon, Jesus can say that very well and not be a hypocrite, can he? Because he's the only righteous one that's ever lived on this planet. He can confront confront hypocrisy. Remember, hypocrite means you actor. You play one part, you say you're something, but you're really something totally different. You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Many of us in the room, we want to help people, don't we? We want to counsel others. We want to help them. The important thing to be able to help them is to first examine our own hearts. I hope you hear this whenever I'm in counseling with you. I've heard it before with brothers that have counseled me. I hear them in their prayers saying, Lord, I am the greatest sinner in this room. So as I come to give hope, may I give hope in you, not in me. None of us are... Perfect, are we? All of us have areas where we need help. And the only way we're going to be able to help each other is to start with our own hearts and see it's us that we must start with. We're sinful. Brothers and sisters, there's no room for religious pride. When we think much of ourselves and our works and our abilities, we are in fact actors, hypocrites. What do we need to do? We need to take the log out of our own eye. You know what that is? That's another way of saying you need to repent. <laughs> you need to turn from that sin. You need to turn from thinking that you're something when you're not. We need to take the log out of our eye. Then we can really help others. The implication is we can't help one another until we get over the big sin in our own hearts. Friends, we all have these propensities to see others 
ourselves as more mature than others. You could, if, I, if I asked you, I bet you you could list them off in your heads. I won't ask you to do that, but could you list off in your minds all the people that you know that are more, uh, are more immature in their faith than you? <laughs> and somebody's probably right at the top of your list immediately. That person pops to your mind, hopefully not. That's probably the one that you have a tendency to think you're better than. Be careful. All of us, me included, can fall into that trap. Now, does that mean that we never confront anybody? No, that's not what we're saying. Does that mean that we should never discern? No, that's not what he's saying. He says it in verse 6, to be discerning. But it's about our hearts. It's about what's going on when we're looking at other people. We all have a tendency to see other sin before our own. We all have an acute ability to see many sins in others, but few sins in ourselves. Here you go. You want to know what it is? Here's How do you indicate? What do you get angry about? What do you get angry about? What are the things that just rile you up? When somebody does something to you, that really gets you angry. I'll give you a hint. I'll give you a hint. Sometimes, a lot of times... It's because they're bothering you, not because they're sinning against God. And because you're thinking you're better than them. This is painful, isn't it? Everybody's toes really stepped on. Mine too. Very, very painful. What do we need? We need a Savior, don't we? We need Christ. The pride and self-righteousness is the log in our eyes. You know, King David, this story we read, wasn't it amazing? I mean, it's the perfect illustration, isn't it? As we went through it, King David at his worst recorded moment in, is a perfect illustration, isn't he? Of what this is all about. How sin blinds us to everyone but ourselves. And what did he do? He got angry at the story that Nathan told about the other person. It was a fictitious, probably a fictitious person, but he was so enraged by that. Nathan tells the story to confront David's sin, and David had a log in his eye. And he couldn't see it. David condemns the herdsman who takes a sheep from a poor farmer. Do you see the speck, how it fits perfect? It was a sheep. It wasn't a wife. It was a sheep. It wasn't a life. He didn't kill. Had the guy killed. That's a log, isn't it? And he's infuriated by a fictitious farmer. And then Nathan goes, boom, you are that man. You are that man. Jesus is doing the same thing here in, in chapter 7. Verse 5, you hypocrite. He did the same thing. It's you are that man.
Notice he didn't give any clarifications. He's talking to the whole crowd, and he's talking to the disciples, and he doesn't say, except you, Peter. Right? He didn't say, no, a few of y'all don't have this problem. Some of y'all are really, you got it. You're okay. You hypocrite. Ouch, right? In, in, In Sermon Deliver, they talked about in our... Don't ever use the word you in sermons. And then there was the other side. Only use, uh, 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 that one side would say, don't ever use the word you. Don't ever direct it, you. You. They would say, always use we. Include yourself because you're just as sin- sinful as the ones that you're talking to. But then the other side says, only say you, because you're speaking the word of God. It has nothing to do with you anyway. Just say you. What's the answer? I have no idea. But I know one thing. The word of God confronts every single one of us in the room. I'm filleted by the passage, and I hope you are too. Did you see the you? Because if not, you've missed it. Why are you coming? Are you coming to see God work in somebody else's life? We come to see God change me. Rip me apart. Take me to the bottom. Show me I need Christ. And that's where I'll abide. We need Christ, don't we? Every single one of us, every single one of us has this tendency. Paul states it in Galatians 6. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. Each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. All too often, we see everybody else as being unable to live up to our standard. When in fact, it should be we are all in this same thing together and we are desperately needy people. We are all vulnerable. We are all prone to think higher of ourselves. Make sure you don't have a log sticking out of your own eye. As MacArthur states... Quote, the person who has the mind and attitude of a kingdom citizen, the person who is poor in spirit, humble, and who hungers and thirsts for God's righteousness, will be the person who first of all sees and mourns over his own sin. Painful, but we... See it again. Who do we, whose sin do we mourn over the most? Is it ours or others? Should we mourn over other people's sin? Sure, absolutely. But if we're constantly examining everybody else and not ourselves, we got a problem. Finally, look. The direction to use righteous discernment. I have to admit, 
when you look at this, doesn't it look a little discon- dis- disconnected? I mean, you hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your, own bro- your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls. It seems almost disconnected, doesn't it? I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it fits perfect. <laughs> Let me tell you why. Because of the propensity in our hearts to go to extremes. Everybody in here has this propensity. We're going to have this propensity to be constantly one way or the other in all these difficulties we struggle with. One of them, for example, is judging and looking out into the world and discerning. We can be overly obsessed with the world and we need to do what? We need to look inward and continually be called to look inward and to examine ourselves before we look out. But then we can extreme to the other side and be that one person that walks around that's totally undiscerning and all they do is say, well, I'm going to let all that go because I got all this sin. I got all this problem here. I'm not going to look at anything. I'm not going to deal with anything. I'm just going to let it go because, hey, I'm the wretched sinner. I can't look at anybody. I can't warn anybody. I can't say anything because what? I got my sin. I think Jesus intentionally goes back the other way to get them to what? Wait, 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 wait. Don't overreact. Does this mean that we don't discern? Do not give what is holy to dogs. And do not throw your pearls before swine. What is holy and what is pearls? What are these? The answer is the gospel. It's the truth of God's word. Do not give what is holy. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, to the swine. These would be animals. In their day, they didn't have, they didn't carry their dogs around with nice little leeches and No, dogs were like rodents like they are in Myanmar. Dogs were like swine. These were the bad animals, the bad things. So don't give what is holy, what is truth, God's word, his holy word, the gospel. Don't give it to the dogs or the swine. They will trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Now you say, "Uh uh-oh, Mike, you have opened up Pandora's box. What does that mean? Well, he said it. It's an implication. And the idea is real clear. What do swine and dogs do to what's holy and pearls? They trample them. They turn and then tear you to pieces. The idea is this concept of you give the word of God to a person and they get angry. They hate it. They reject the word. They hate God. They begin to mock God. And then what do they do? They turn and turn on you. And they go after you. I have a guy that the Lord has graciously given to me for the last 10 years. He calls me probably every two or three years. I should get another call any, any minute. Maybe he's listening. Hopefully he is. It's you, brother. You need to repent. He just calls me, and from the very beginning, he's, I, I, I'm not sure, but I think he's Jehovah Witness, and he goes right after me, right away, just mocking me, 
belittling me, saying, Jesus isn't God, you're all wrong. I mean, he yells at me, he's been rude to me. I'm like, can I just talk to you in a kind way? Can we just have a good conversation? And he has nothing of it. He just wants to be rude. Last time he called me, I was like, hey, how are you doing? You know, have you repented of all your wickedness? And just goes after me. You know, you're really a fool. Calling me names and everything. I'm like, I'm glad you called me again. I appreciate you reminded me that God's in control of even people that don't love him. And I, I don't think it's going to be a prosperous conversation for me to be able to talk to you. If you ever really want to talk about the gospel, I'd love to, but it doesn't appear you want to. So have a nice day, and when I get off the phone, I'll pray for you, okay? And I hang up. This, beloved, is one of the dogs or swines in my life. I'm being honest. Now, I know that could sound judgmental, but I'm not trying to be judgmental. I'm just telling you all it is is a fight. He wants to argue. It's useless. It's not prosperous. Doesn't glorify God. So, I let it go. I think we need to think this way. Carefully. Not judgmentally. Not thinking we're better than them. But knowing that because he's lost, he's, he can't see the truth. And there's no reason to argue. For the record, kind of glad... Facebook's taking a nosedive. Because often we see this kind of argument by believers. We're not even honoring God in the way we talk. Be careful, friends. Social media is just another way for us to throw what's holy to dogs and pearls to swine. Again, we don't think we're better than them. We know that the word is truth. We're sinful apart from God's grace, and we can fall into this kind of judgmental attitude if we're not careful. This doesn't mean that we are quick to avoid people either. We can use a verse like this to make an excuse for, well, I'm never going to talk to that person again. But they're a relative. No, it can't work that way, beloved. Be careful, okay? We must be discerning, knowing who to share the gospel with and when to be quiet, when to not argue, when to not put yourself and judge others. This comes down to a person who values the pearls, (laughs) values what is holy. It's God's word. It's the gospel. Friends, this is our solution, isn't it? We can't change blasphemers' hearts. We can warn one another of that, but we often will not change them. We have to be gracious and kind and loving. Thinking of 2 Timothy chapter 2. Gentle with all. Trusting the Lord that he will change hearts. 
So do you see the full picture here? The perfect balance requires an abiding relationship with God. We don't put ourselves over others in judgment. We're careful to evaluate our own sinful hearts first before confronting others. We confess and repent of our sins, and then we share hope with others. And yet we're also discerning, and we judge righteously concerning when and how long we shall share the truth with a person who spits on the word. So what do we do if we find ourselves thinking that we're better than others? Or what do we do if we find ourselves arguing with people that we shouldn't be arguing with? I'll give you the answer. Real simple. Repent and believe. Turn to Christ. Trust in Him. Ask Him to be your all-sufficient one. Your all-satisfying Savior. How many of us have failed at this? Again, where is your hope? It isn't saying, okay, I'm going to be better. I'm going to walk out of here. I'm going to fix this. Your answer is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. The one who came into the world. And he didn't come into the world to judge the world, but to what? Save the world. Came in the world to save us who are sinners. What a glorious God we have. Turn to him. Trust in him. Obey him. Enjoy him, and then we will be able to walk that narrow path of faith in him and him alone. We pray this in Christ's name, right? It's all about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for watching us. Thank you for caring for us. Lord, we do have a propensity to think of ourselves as better than others. Oh, God, please forgive us. Thank you for Christ Jesus who came into the world and is righteousness. The one who died in our place and rose from the dead and is alive today and our life is bound up in him. We are with him. We are in union with him. We are with you in Christ. And we thank you for that great truth. We know that there is no condemnation now for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we thank you for that. We pray, Lord, that you will help anybody in the room that is not trusting in you and not obeying you and enjoying you, that they will turn to you now, that you will work in their hearts and cause them to see that you are the delight of the soul. We rejoice in you. And we ask that you work in us to help us honor you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.